Hello and welcome to the Room of Lives. I am your host, Neil. In this very first episode, I want to tell you about who I am and what this podcast is about. In brief, I was born and raised in India, and I'm currently a PhD student in physics, neuroscience, and psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. The Room of Lives podcast is a series of long, in-depth conversations that I've had with interesting people from a whole spectrum of backgrounds, and also thoughts, stories, and experiences that I want to share from my own side. Some of my conversations have been with young PhD students in various disciplines like physics, biology, neuroscience, information studies, and architecture. Others have been with other people that I've met from various walks of life, such as a reporter of the biggest Austin daily newspaper, a teacher of the blind, a young violinist and modern music creator, the mother of a guy who is in a maximum security prison for building the largest anonymous market on the dark web, and an ex-Black Hawk pilot who has been healing himself and other veterans of trauma using traditional plant-based medicine and psychedelics from Latin America. The thing with the Room of Lives podcast is that each of these conversations is centered not around a topic, but around the whole person. And so we'll be discussing anything about their life, experiences, work, and passions that they find interesting. So we'll talk about their personal lives, about philosophy, technology, science, causes, really whatever they're passionate about. And when it comes to those episodes where I discuss my own thoughts and experiences, here are some of the topics that you can expect. The connections that I see between Western neuroscience and Eastern spirituality on questions of the nature of the self and of reality. The idea of life being a simulation, both from the perspective of modern technology, as well as ancient Hindu philosophy. My thoughts on nudism. Um, and the story of my own personal spiritual journey, including what I have learned from meditation and various psychedelics. Okay, so that was a quick summary. Now I'm going to go into some more depth about myself, um, how I meet so many people, how this podcast came to be, and what the podcast is going to be like. So, um, first things first, my full name is Abranil Das, or Abranil Dash, um, and um, I go by Neil when I'm um, in the United States. Um, Abranil, which is my first name, means blue sky. Abra means sky, Neil means blue. The literal translation of Das is slave. Uh, now, I don't know if any of my ancestors used to actually be slaves or, um, yeah, I don't really know about that. But anyway, um, most people in the U.S. call me Neil, and so I'm just going to go by Neil um, on this podcast. Um, I was born in Kolkata or Calcutta, which is the capital of the Indian state of West Bengal. Um it used to be the capital of India, 
under the British. Um, I was born to uh, middle-class parents. Um, when I was growing up, actually in the years following uh, independence, um, West Bengal was um, under a communist government for a long 37 years. And I think we have had, um, and people will corroborate this, that we have had a sort of a, a long tradition of um, uh, intellectual exploration. Um, a lot of the intellectuals and writers and artists and filmmakers of India um, have come from West Bengal. And definitely I can attest that as I was growing up, I felt this intellectual influence um, everywhere. My dad um, is a retired geologist. My mom was a cartographer. Um, and, um, well, um, my sister, who is four years older than me, she works um, uh, at a bank. And um, they're all in India. Um, um, my mom um, passed away last year. Uh, the rest of uh, my family live um, in India. My sister now has um, twins who are about a year old. Um, so that's about it. I wanted to tell you a little bit about what my family does. Um, when I was a kid, I was interested in science and especially physics from a very young age. And my dad used to keep fueling um, that interest. Um, I mean, he was a geologist himself. Um, so I remember that when I was a little kid, um, the first kind of career that I wanted to have was to become an astronaut. I mean, a lot of kids want to become astronauts. And eventually, um, um, I decided that I want to become a space scientist. And I don't think I really even knew what that meant, but I knew that I wanted to become a scientist and I really liked space. Um, and I felt like that was like, you know, being more of a scientist than an astronaut who simply just goes out to space. Maybe I was also, I also, when I grew up a little bit more, I realized that it's not very easy to be an astronaut because not a lot of people go out <laughs> to space, but it's easier to become a space scientist, I guess. Um, towards the end of high school and um, at the start of my undergraduate, I wanted to become a theoretical physicist. Um, and so at the end of high school, I um, started doing a five-year integrated master's in science at IISERK, which is short for the Indian Institute of Science Education and Research at Kolkata. Um, uh, in the final year, I guess, or the final couple of years of my high school and the first year of my undergraduate, I wrote... Uh, essentially a book, like a 232-page book on the mathematics of um, how we see things, uh, specifically about the geometry of perspective projection. 
you know how you know the the farther that something is the smaller it gets and um kind of the the general effect that that has on the shapes of things and how motion is perceived and how binocular vision which is looking at things with two eyes can give you information about how far away things are etc um so i just kind of like sat and wrote this myself and i worked all the math out and when i was in undergrad uh, a german company um called lambert academic publishing approached me and they eventually published the book um I don't advertise this as much anymore because although I'm very proud of the book itself and all the stuff that I wrote, uh, Lambert Academic Publishing goes around seeking manuscripts from a lot of people um, and it's not really peer-reviewed. So um, anyway, but I did write a book. Mm, so there. Um, so towards the end of my integrated master's, um, I kind of veered away from my dream of becoming a theoretical physicist um, uh, towards um, studying nonlinear dynamics and the physics of complex uh, systems. And partly the reason for this is that I did not understand quantum mechanics and I used to be super frustrated about that. But, and I had, um, I had a really good professor um, towards the end of my master's uh, of um, nonlinear dynamics. I eventually did my master's thesis under him. And so when I finished my master's and um, I was applying for a PhD in physics abroad, um, I knew that I wanted to do nonlinear dynamics uh, for my PhD. So um, among the places that I applied to, um, I got selected about like half of those places and eventually I ended up at the University of Texas at Austin and they have a whole center for nonlinear dynamics but things kind of didn't really go in the direction that I had planned. For one, when I came here I kind of found out that the center used to do more, uh, the center used to do uh, the kind of nonlinear dynamics research that I'm interested in more sort of back in the day in the 90s. And these days, the kind of research that goes on at the center is mostly experimental biophysics or uh, very highly mathematical um, stuff, kind of only tangentially related to nonlinear dynamics. And I wasn't so interested in that. Um, so I kind of just like sort of sat around for a bit in different group meetings. Um, I attended the, the group meetings of uh, um, a mathematical physics group that I eventually did not join. Um, then um, at some point, um, I got an email from a theoretical and computational neuroscience group that was being led by um, a professor with a physics PhD, although the group itself was in the Department of Neuroscience. And um, so the email was about, uh, do you want to um, learn about the dynamics of the brain using physics? 
and had always had an interest in cognitive science. And so this particular blend of, you know, nonlinear dynamics and complex systems with um, trying to understand the brain was like the perfect fit for me. So I started doing my research um, in that group. Um, eventually, for a couple of factors, I left that group um, after maybe two-ish years of working um, with them. Um, and then I joined um, a different group, um, kind of overlapping area. Um, so this new group uh, where I'm still working, their focus is on um, using mathematical, uh, using theoretical and computational approaches to try and understand um, various aspects of how vision works um, in the human and other animal brains. Uh, so it's kind of like computational neuroscience and mathematical psychology. Um, also, because I was a theoretical physicist, one of the requirements of the physics department here is that you have to work with an experimental physics group um, at some point. Um, and so for that, I worked in an experimental nonlinear dynamics group where they were studying how um, um, these things called internal gravity waves propagate through the body of the ocean. You can't see these waves on the surface, but these are sort of waves of water that are created because of the uh, gradient in um, salinity and uh, density of the water as you go deeper and deeper into the ocean. And so there are these waves that propagate uh, through the body of uh, um, the ocean waters, and they can be very um, important for a variety of factors. They can carry a lot of material and, um, and, and heat and bio uh, material like planktons from one place to another and up continental slopes. So I did some computational work for them and it was fun to kind of be in their lab and see their tabletop experiment uh, inside a tank of water and, and they, would, they would do experiments on that and it was kind of fun to see that. Um, so that's sort of a description of all the different kinds of research that I have done um, since I started uh, grad school at UT Austin. Um, as a result of uh, all of my experiences and my sort of, you know, unpredicted meandering trajectory through graduate school, I've had um, some very fundamental changes in my conception of what kind of research I want to do in future. If I do stay in academics after my PhD, um, I think at the moment, you know, if you ask me this question several months later, the answer might be different. But the kind of research that I feel now that I want to do is research into uh, consciousness um, or, uh, you know, the effect of psychedelics on the human mind or the effect of things like meditation and what can they teach us from a scientific um, standpoint. So I feel like I kind of want to do work that bridges spirituality 
and science. Um, okay, so let me tell you a little bit more about myself. Um, I currently live in Austin. I actually have a pretty cool living situation. The, I live in a house just north of campus and uh, the house is owned by a retired American couple and uh, they live downstairs. Um, my landlord is a retired physicist. He used to be a relativist um, and then he went on to work in a private company um, and he has uh, many different patents to his name for having invented different things. Um, my landlady, uh, she is an artist, um, but in the past she also used to work as administrative staff in the physics department at the University of Texas here. And at some point they started hosting students from the university at their house. So they live downstairs and they host students upstairs. And I've been living in their house for um, I guess the past four or five years now. And it's the house is kind of run like a co-op. Um, we cook for each other. We pick a day of the week to cook for the whole house. And uh, we sit and eat dinner together. Um, I've had a rotating cast of, uh, um, of roommates. I don't think that's the right usage of rotating cast. I just mean that I've had many roommates. Um, and it's been a lot of fun for me. So that's where I live right now. And um, what are my hobbies? Well, I like to listen to a lot of music. Most of it is electronic music of various forms, um, psychedelic ambient music, just plain ambient music, electronic dance music, um, down tempo, um, loads of electronic music. Sometimes I listen to alternative rock. Um, Austin is actually called the live music capital of the world and for good reason. Since I moved here, I have attended many live music shows and it's all really great. Uh, I've been able to see a lot of my favorite bands uh, up close. Um, if I have to name a couple of favorite bands, I would say on the electronic frontier, uh, some of my favorite bands are ones that you have probably not heard of, like Carbon-Based Lifeforms, and Ott, and Abacus, and Solar Fields. On the rock, or the, or the alternative rock front, some of my favorite bands are Radiohead, and Muse, um, I guess, yeah. And then there are like other bands that you wouldn't have heard of, like smaller bands. Um, I also used to play the drums when I was an undergrad and for a while when I was in grad school um, in Austin uh, before being kicked out. Um, there's actually a podcast episode with my friend Stefan Eccles where we discuss our uh, past, our musical past. And I tell you a little bit more um, about um, my musical history. Um, okay, so music is a big hobby. Um, Another set of big hobbies are I really like physical slash outdoor activities. I really like, I like climbing. I used to do long distance running, but then I kind of hurt my knee doing the Austin Marathon. Um, so I don't run anymore. 
but I like swimming, um, climbing, which is bouldering. Um, I like camping, kayaking, um, cycling. Um, yeah, I guess that's about it. Yeah, I mean, I like traveling a lot. Um, I like, you know, reading about technology or just reading in general. Um, I used to have a blog when I was in high school and I used to be pretty prolific, but then I kind of stopped uh, writing um, as much. Um, yeah, um, other things of note. Yeah, I guess um, something that is very significant to me at least in the last several years is um, I've had a very significant uh, spiritual evolution in my life um, and I think I want to take some more time to talk about it in some dedicated podcasts because I feel like there's enough interesting stuff there um, to tell other people about. Um, I've done various drugs um i've done well i've done pot of course i've also done mdma which is ecstasy i've done lsd i've done um magic mushrooms psilocybin and i plan to do dmt at some point i don't want to do stuff like heroin cocaine or opioids um Recently, I've started getting very excited about uh, the Latin world. I made some friends from Colombia, and I really like them. I started learning uh, Spanish uh, from Duolingo. It's a pretty nice app. I just took a bus down to Mexico uh, this summer, and I had a fantastic time. And I plan to go uh, back down there um, in December. And eventually, I actually want to backpack around um, a lot of the Spanish-speaking world, like countries in Central and South America. Um, okay, so that was, you know, just a bunch of stuff about me, I guess, that hopefully sort of compactly uh, manages to summarize me as a person. And you can decide whether you find me interesting or not. Um now to tell you a little bit about how this podcast thing uh, started. So already when I was in undergrad at the Indian Institute of Science, Education and Research in India, I sort of uh, started uh, a series of talks by students. I guess I just called it the student colloquium. I gave a talk um, and uh, I guess a couple other people gave talks to, but the thing didn't really continue. Um, now, when I started graduate school here uh, at UT Austin, I was uh, really very glad to discover that my friends, who were mostly physics graduate students, um, were interested in a whole variety of different topics uh, in philosophy and politics and a bunch of stuff. Um, that, you know, far exceeded uh, just the stuff that they were working on in their labs and offices. So um, my friends in physics grad school and I, uh, we had this tradition of going out, like usually on Thursday evenings, to uh, a bar um, for trivia, trivia night. 
And I remembered that my interest there was not so much the trivia, um, but uh, to have conversations uh, with these people. And I always found that fascinating. But it used to be kind of a pain to always try and, uh, um, you know, speak over the loud music. And I started thinking, is there a way to have a slightly more formal space um, for people to come and talk about things that they're interested in and for other people to just come and listen. So I started this thing called the Molotov Seminar uh, at UT Austin. Um, and I gave the first talk and I kind of envisioned this as, I, I just booked a room in the physics building really. And I just envisioned this as a place where periodically um, you know, my friends and I would gather and we would just share our thoughts um, on ideas and stuff that we just want to talk about. And in the beginning, I thought it would just be like nerdy stuff, like things in physics and math uh, that, that catch our attention. Um, and so the first talk that I gave was actually about uh, something in physics. It was about left-right um, asymmetry or you know, symmetry in electrodynamics. But the very second talk was about Friedrich Nietzsche's philosophy. And the, the thing just became this very general venue for people to come and give um, talks about anything. And so eventually there were both uh, speakers and uh, attendees uh, from outside the physics department and eventually um, unaffiliated with the university. Um, this last Friday, which was yesterday, I hosted my 77th Molotov seminar. I guess I've been doing it for about four years now. Um, so I have met a lot of people uh, through the process of organizing these talks. I have been to almost all of those talks. Although I'm the organizer, I didn't go to, I guess, two of the talks because I was out of town. So having sat through 75 talks by people from all sorts of backgrounds talking about all sorts of things, you know, uh, I mean, they might be from physics, but they're talking about philosophy. Um, I feel like that has had the effect of making me grow as a person a lot. Um, and I've been able to connect many dots. And um, I, I feel like I'm much more well informed about the connections between things than um, you know, the the average expert in any particular field. So that has been really uh, great for, for me. I've become a lot better at um, soft skills like social skills, um, managing people, getting them to do things without pissing them off, um, um, you know, sort of uh, um, holding my own in... Uh, socially high-pressure situations, um, um, and in general, much better skills of interacting with people who I may not know very well. Um, so, um, yeah, um, that makes it easy uh, for me to meet a lot of people that I otherwise would not have met. Um, a lot of people wonder why it's called the Molotov Seminar, so I'll just put in a word about that. Um, at the time that I was 
um, creating this seminar series, there already existed another series of talks that would be organized by uh, um, um, students in the mathematical physics group, and it was called Whiskey Seminar, W-H-I-Z-K-E-Y. Um, but I have heard that they had on more than one occasion actually sneaked whiskey into uh, the talk room, and that's not supposed to be legal. Anyway, so when I was contemplating what to call my seminar, um, uh, I thought, okay, why not continue this tradition of naming it after some sort of alcohol? And um, a Molotov cocktail um, contains alcohol, but you're not supposed to drink it. You're supposed to light it on fire and throw it at uh, people who are oppressing you. So I thought, okay, that's a pretty explosive twist on on this, uh, um, you know, alcohol-based trend of naming talks. So I was pretty happy with it. Um, it also has the same number of letters as seminar. So writing Molotov seminar usually makes for a pretty aesthetically pleasing logo. Mm, it also has the same number of syllables as seminar. So I think Molotov seminar uh, sounds pretty good. So that's about the Molotov seminar. Okay. Um, for a while, uh, I, well, okay, so there was this guy called Aaron Conrado, who is a molecular biology graduate student, and he came and gave a talk about molecular biology at the Molotov seminar, and um, he used to be a host of a student-run radio show. So there's a student-run radio station uh, called KVRX, um, 91.7 FM, and it's run uh, by the Department of Communication, I guess, or the, or the Media Center at UT Austin. And there's like a radio station office there uh, in from which they run uh, radio shows. And so he used to be a DJ or a host of this um, radio show called They Blinded Me With Science, in which uh, they would um, invite graduate students to come and uh, talk about their research. And they were having some vacancies. Some graduate students were leaving, uh, people who used to be hosts of that show. And so Aaron um, asked me if I wanted to um, try my hand at hosting that show. And I was very excited. So uh, for a semester or maybe a couple semesters or so, I co-hosted the show, They Blinded Me With Science. Um, and it was a lot of fun. Um, although I used to be a little bit nervous. Um, at some point, I realized that I had, my plate was too full, so I didn't want to continue co-hosting the show. But Aaron and I started discussing the possibility of starting our own podcast. He was someone who was interested in science communication, and he was kind of thinking about what he wanted to do after his PhD. Um, and so we met at this taco place, and we discuss the possibility of doing a podcast together where we would invite uh, graduate students and talk to them about research sort of uh, along the lines of that radio show. Um, at some point, I realized soon after my conversation with him that I realized two things. One, that um, things would be slow if I kept depending on him um, and, you know, we are both graduate students, we are both busy, so um, 
for conversations to happen where I'm in the room and Aaron is in the room and our invited guest in the room, things would be kind of slow. I mean, it's kind of hard to get all the logistics together. And I was feeling like too impatient at that time to get this podcast thing started. So that's the first thing. And the second thing I realized was that maybe I didn't want to uh, stay committed or restricted to the idea of just interviewing science students about their science. That's something that Aaron wanted to do. But I already noticed with the Malta seminar that, you know, it kind of uh, took uh, a shape of its own. And I wanted to be open to that possibility with my podcast as well. Um, um, so I told Aaron that I just wanted to start doing this podcast thing by myself. But I would still very much like um, him to be um, the first person that I sit down and have a conversation with for my podcast. So that's what I did. Aaron Conrado was the first person that um, I interviewed for my podcast. And like I said, we talked not just about the science, but about his personal life and experiences. Um, and so in the beginning, when I was envisioning the podcast um, and working on the podcast, it used to be um, um, graduate students at the University of Texas at Austin mostly science students um, who I would have conversations with. And my vision was um, a sort of a platform to showcase um, young scientists um, who are getting into science. Because if you think about it, uh, I feel like in an era where we are so dependent on science and technology, there still exists a severe disconnect between um, the the usual uh, public media and public psychology uh, of, of the people and the world of scientists and how science gets done and who does it and how does it function. Um, the only bridges are, um, you know, established scientists who have become these media personalities like Neil deGrasse Tyson or, I mean, other people that I could name. But all of these people are, you know, older. Uh, most of them are not doing active science anymore. Um, a lot of them are retired. And they're very, you know, well-respected people who, you know, rarely doubt themselves. So they sort of project this traditional, um, traditional image of what a scientist is supposed to be, this sort of infallible person who's kind of older and knows what they're talking about um, and they're like wearing a lab coat sometimes or whatever. Um, it's it's someone that you can sit and listen to very respectfully and nod along, but it's someone that you can't really identify with. So, so one of the goals that I envision for my podcast would be to talk to young scientists with all their frailties and and, and, and doubts and, you know, self-defeating thoughts and all sorts of uncertainty going into science, still kind of, you know, um, shaping themselves and, and the way that they relate to science and the way that they think um, with all of their imperfections and, um, you know, all of their doubts um, and talk to them not just about their science, but about their personality, about their lives, about what drives them. Um, to, to, you know, to see where their curiosity comes from, where their passion comes from, so that when you listen to these people, uh, hopefully you get a sense that, oh, these are people kind of like me, and 
they're just excited about this one thing and they're not a separate species of humans called scientists um, and I realized um, both from my experience of hosting the Molotov seminars and also just going around and meeting people in grad school that if I think about it I am surrounded by a really fascinating community of people. Graduate school is like a treasure trove of meeting people who for many years have thought deeply about things and are greatly fascinated about, you know, something that um, most people wouldn't even know about. Um, and they very often can very intelligently and articulately talk about these things. Um, so I felt like it's kind of like a treasure that's just lying by the wayside. And I could just go out and um, using my existing network of people that I know, I can start interviewing them and I can interview them on this personal level um, where I talk about all spheres of their life as well as their interests. So this was sort of the original idea and I kind of started uh, doing this and kind of stayed on that track for a while. But just as with the Molotov seminar, eventually I started branching out to people who were unaffiliated with science or were not graduate students at all. Uh, for example, I told you that I interviewed a reporter um, of the Austin American Statesman, and she told me about this very colorful and interesting account of her personal life um, and her family um, and all of these other people that I've interviewed that are not from grad school. And um, so it basically went in the direction that I kind of anticipated when um, I decided early on that I didn't want the podcast to simply be a profile of um, grad students in science. Um, so at the time um, of speaking right now, I have done about, I guess, 14 or 15 interviews. And each of these interviews is anywhere between two to four or five hours long. So these are pretty long ass fucking interviews, yeah? But they have all been very um, exciting and interesting for me. So the format of this podcast is going to be the following. Uh, when it comes to these conversations that I've had with people, um, no matter how long the whole conversation was, I have tried in almost all cases to not um, edit any content out. Um, so if I don't edit any content out, uh, then the whole conversation that you would have to listen to would be like several hours long. And I uh, understand that that's too much to ask for. So what I did was I kind of designed my conversations with these people as a sequence of topics. So I would send them an email in advance asking them, okay, what is it that you are interested in talking about? And then they would write me back a series of topics about their own lives and passion and interests. I would combine it with other stuff that I already know about that person. So I might know that, okay, uh, I want to talk to this guy about meditation a little bit, even if they have not mentioned it. And I would kind of write down in an order these topics that I want to touch on when I'm talking to them, such that later on, you can break down the whole conversation into a chronological sequence of uh, sub-episodes with its own topic. So, for example, 
if I'm interviewing my friend uh, Stefan Eccles, there might be um, um, a sub uh, an episode or a, a subsection that is its own episode on um, his um, work in theoretical cosmology, and then there the the next part of the conversation would be its own episode where he tells me about his uh, experiences uh, uh, making music, and then the following part of the conversation would be an episode where he tells me about growing up Mormon and um, how he has evolved um, in terms of his religious and spiritual ideas, um, etc. So, so the format is, you know, long, unabridged conversations, but divided where possible into sections that become their own episodes. And when it comes to um, the episodes which are um, monologues or sometimes they're discussions with someone else about um, a topic that I just want to say something about, um, if that conversation ends up being very long, I'll also try to divide those up into uh, subsections uh, where possible. All the episodes and transcripts are available at roomoflives.com. If you like the episodes and you want to donate, um, you can send me ether at abhranil.eth, that's A-B-H-R-A-N-I-L dot E-T-H. Um, for those of you who are not familiar, um, ether is the cryptocurrency that fuels the Ethereum blockchain, and uh, abhranil.eth is just uh, the name or address of my Ethereum wallet, so if you just type it into your browser, nothing's going to happen. Um, so that's about it as far as um, what to expect uh, from this podcast, but once again, you know, I mean, um, I'm sitting here telling you right now about what uh, I see uh, the podcast as being currently, but in future, if I continue um, doing this, um, it might uh, take some other shape. So no guarantees. Um, before I sign off today, there's a couple of acknowledgements regarding uh, this podcast. My friend uh, Yorgos Stratis, who is uh, a physics PhD student, also he's in my cohort, uh, he is the one who first told me that I can um, rent out uh, or I can check out uh, these very good quality microphones from the UT Austin Fine Arts Library um, that I can use to record my podcasts. And so that's what I do. And then um, my roommate, well, not really roommate. I mean, he lives in the same house as me, um, Benam um, Arzagi. Uh, I met him at a meditation retreat, and um, now he lives in the same house as me, and um, I actually interviewed him for my podcast. Um, he is, um, you know, the young violinist and uh, music um, creator that I mentioned earlier, and he is the one who composed the, um, the intro music uh, for my podcast. Um, he also has a podcast of his own called The Austin Reader, 
and so I encourage you to go and check it out um, if you're interested and um, I guess for the introductory episode this is going to be it so I hope that you're going to enjoy um, listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm.